The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. And happy New Year to you. Yes, good morning. Uh, happy New Year, everyone. I hope New it was. It was it unusual this year? Did you do anything spectacular by yourself? <laughs> I, I think board games got the biggest boost in sales, or at least got taken out of the closet this yeah. year than any other year. Not a word of a lie. We did the same thing. We were with the family and uh, the immediate family and, and got out the old... It was actually my old Monopoly board game that I got when I was like 10 years old. We're still using wow. it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. The nostalgia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and my daughter, she uh, pulled out some game that was uh, a lot of fun, and we did that, and a little bit of euchre, and uh, next thing you know, Happy New Year. And charades for you, Andy? We were doing, uh, no, we were doing euchre and puzzles. We got into, uh, I was puzzling, and then I would force everybody else to do at least, like, five pieces before they could eat or drink. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was just about to say something. How difficult is it to find a puzzle piece when, uh, well, on New Year's Eve? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of good lighting. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the lighting that's stopping us. All right, uh, let's get going here. And, you know, we've all, uh, I guess, I don't know if we're making a lot of New Year's resolutions this year, just simply because we want to get the heck away from the last year. But it, it's always a good time to take a look at your finances. And you've got some some uh, fiscal uh, New Year's resolutions for us. Ten fiscal New Year's resolutions. And so Don and I were working together, but sort of go back and forth on these. And um some of them we have a little more more detailed, and some of them are just sort of straightforward ideas. But uh, um, and so, but in no particular order in terms of priority. And the first one I wanted to start with was talking about um, what we call the maximum pensionable earnings amount. The maximum pensionable earnings amount is the amount of income that you have to earn this year in 2021 to be able to maximize your Canada Pension Plan benefit. So if you earn 61600 this year, at least 61600 you will have contributed the maximum and you will have earned the maximum credits towards your Canada Pension Plan for 2021. So a lot of times when people are planning, if, particularly if you're self-employed um, <clears throat> or if you own a business or you're operating a holding company where you're paying yourself dividends, uh, this is an amount... Um, Various amounts qualify as pensionable earnings, and some don't. So uh, a dividend does not, but a salary does. So by paying yourself at least a salary of 61600 for 2021, you will maximize your Canada Pension Plan benefits. We're going to talk a little bit more about Canada Pension Plan benefits later on in the show as well. Another, then part of the same one, these are just all numbers for 2021. Pay attention to the low-interest prescribed loan rate. It's still 1%. So if your junior spouse are in different brackets, use a different. Uh, you can loan money to each other and income split that way. And medical expenses is the other one. You um, Accumulating medical expenses. This is something I always clients will um, throw in all their medical receipts thinking they've got some claim to make. And the problem is unless you spend a certain amount, a minimum threshold, 
then you won't be able to claim any medical expense tax credit. So that that threshold this year is uh, 3% of your income uh, or $2,421, so roughly 80000 a year. So if you if you make 80000 a year, you've got to spend at least $2,400 in medical expenses before you start getting a benefit. So that's why you want to pool them all together in a 12-month period to make sure that you can go over that threshold. And the final one is old age security. Uh, the threshold, they're now calling it, instead of an old age security clawback threshold, they're calling it the recovery threshold. <laughs> and I like, the, I like the phrasing. But anyway, $79,845. Uh, let's just call it 80000 as a simple number to remember. If your income goes over $80,000, and you're over age 65 and receiving Canada, uh, sorry, old age security, you will get start getting it clawed back at the rate of 15 cents on every dollar above that amount. So 80,000, keep your income under that, and uh, make sure you talk to your financial planner about minimizing OAS recovery thresholds. All right, Don, you're <laughs> off to number two. Okay, and you know what? Going back to that Canada pension plan, it was a bit of a rude awakening for those people getting a paycheck this uh, year because they did raise that level. Uh, fairly significantly because they're in the transition period. So uh, you might be missing an extra $20 on your paycheck per month, and it's because they did increase the uh, percentage on the Canada Pension Plan and did raise the limit, as you mentioned, to 61600 I think it was 58000 last year, Andy. Yeah. So uh, number two, and, this, and I actually would say there is a bit of an order to this one particularly because I would say this would be a number one at any given point, is contribute to registered plans. And so depending on your situation, that may be an RESP, a Registered Education Savings Plan, or it might be a tax-free savings account, or it could be an RRSP, Registered Retirement Savings Plan. And again, it's not which one's better, it's which one's better in your circumstance. So this year, and this is a good number to remember for those folks out there saying, I probably get this question more than anything, is how much can I contribute to a tax-free savings account? because it's been accumulative over the years. And this year, they added another 6000 So this year's limit, if you had maximized the tax receiving account all the way through, this year's limit, and it started January 1st, is $6,000 you can top up again. Um, have you, if you never have contributed to a tax savings account, your cumulative limit now is $75,500 per spouse. So, you know, if you've got a windfall, you could actually put in $151,000 if you're married, each of you, I mean, in total, um, as a household. So that's a, that's a significant amount of money. I remember when these things first started, Andy, it's like, oh, well, big deal, $5,500, actually $5,000, and, you know, it's not going to accumulate too much. Here we are many years later, and it's now $75,500 per person. And they're easily seeing people, clients with uh, poor, uh, TFSA portfolios over 100000 oh. uh, including growth. I would say, suggest most of them are at this stage if they've yeah. been doing it all the way along the way. Um, and again, this is, again, we always talk about this tax-free savings account. It's a tax-free investment account. Thanks for reminding me, Andy. Um, you can invest those monies in anything, and it makes a massive difference because those ones that just put it in kind of a savings vehicle, such as a GIC or a daily interest, would not be anywhere near 100000 at this stage. And as far as that RSP, um, it's on your notice of assessment. We're pretty much used to that now. It used to be, okay, um, we, the limits are this amount. No, just go to your notice of assessment. Um, if you've signed up for CRA, you'll, you'll have that online, or if just grab the notice of assessment, find out what your limit is. But 
this is where a financial advisor makes a massive difference. How much should you contribute to the RSP, if at all? Should you contribute to a TFSA, or should you top up the RESPs for the kids? And that is the question that really you need to know the proper plan and, and have that plan in front of you to say which is the best way to optimize. So that would be it for that, and you're off again, Andy. All right. And uh, just as a reminder, so 27230 is the RRSP contribution limit. That's the maximum you could contribute uh, for last year. So if you've already topped everything up, that's how much more you can put in subject to your tax brackets Don talked about. Okay, I'm going to go on to number three, which is pay yourself first. Maybe we should make this one number one, honestly, because I think one of the things that people have learned over uh, the last 12 months or 10 months of COVID is, is that our spending can be uh, controlled. We don't have to be spending as much money as perhaps we're used to based on our lifestyle. And and one thing that I always, and even um, in talking with uh, younger, the, the children of clients of, of ours, is that one of the biggest differentiators between those that become financially successful and those that don't is their capacity to save. And if you have the ability to put aside that 10% of your income and not spend it, investing it for the long term, it is going to be the single most important decision that you can make. And that will dictate your future financial success in so many levels. So number one, figure out how to set up a monthly contribution, a pack that uh, begins to replicate that ability to put or putting away a 10% of your income each year. So that's number three. And I know, Scott, you're a big uh, fan of the PAC system. Yeah. it. Again, I've told the story uh, a million times, but um, all you have to do is get one tax bill, and then you realize, who, who do you want to pay that money to, the government or to yourself? And uh, paying yourself first, you know, you, you go back to the those books like The Wealthy Barber and such, that's what it's about. You don't miss it. It's the, the very same as everything that's deducted off your paycheck before you get it. It's just another one of those, and except this one's just for you. And absolutely, and those Wealthy Barber books and any of those, uh, it's, it's the same old, same old. Pay yourself first, yeah. get a little bit of money each, each over the years, increase it as you make more money, and it's absolutely incredible. Here we are. Andy and I both 35 years plus in the business, and we've, we've grown a lot of millionaires because of pay yourself first. Yeah, Don, you were, it's funny you brought that up because literally we were doing a purge in, in the office, and I was getting rid of some books and looking and trying to, you know, minute downsize. And literally, I pulled out the, my original copy of The Wealthy Barber, and uh, as we were thinking about today's show, paying yourself first, just top of mind, it makes so much sense. I couldn't get rid of the book. I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, you can't do any of the other resolutions if you don't pay yourself first. Exactly. It, it's, it's the basis. It's the base. So, and again, going into the next one, um, number four is own real estate. And when you think of owning real estate, it is paying yourself first because it makes you have a mortgage payment. Now, I know you're paying interest, etc., but as opposed to paying rent on a condo or an apartment or, or a house, you're now paying a little bit of money towards a mortgage payment, and that's a forced savings, very similar to paying yourself first. Now, there's a lot of other benefits of owning real estate. First of all, uh, like I said, you pay monthly, so it forces you. Secondly, homes generally grow over, over time. They don't normally go exponentially like they have recently. They usually do a little bit better than inflation. You could rent out all of it or part of it, so you could get rental income. And the nice, the other thing, and truly a Canadian tax benefit, is the principal residence rules. 
is that all that growth, when you go to sell it, is tax-free. A home is like a massive tax-free savings account. And I know, yes, unfortunately, you do have to fix the roof and do the kitchen and paint the offices and do all these other things. But at the end of the day, when you do sell it, all that is tax-free. And there's one of the best benefits Canada has over a lot of other, other countries. So own real estate should be part of your overall plan. And that is number four. Owning real estate, and I Owning think we'll real- go. Well, we have time for that. Scott. You know what? Let's t- let's take a quick break here. We'll uh, put the New Year's resolutions right, on Scott. hold for a sec. We'll uh, use this time to take a quick break. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at nine zero five five two nine seventy one sixty five. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. And there you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button or as well uh, access old archive shows. We're talking talking about uh, the big New Year's resolutions, fiscal New Year's resolutions. Hey, and the next one, number five, is track your spending. And, um, you know, and this is something that, uh, I don't know, every every New Year's it becomes, now it's just ingrained in me, but uh, I make sure that my wife and I sit down to review where we are financially in terms of measuring your net worth. That's one thing. So what you own and what you owe, and the difference is your net worth. And, of course, you want to see that increasing each year and um, through a combination of savings and paying down debt. But keeping track of your spending is such a valuable tool in the context of knowing how much income is coming in and how much is going out in terms of expenses. And um, now everybody uses different tools, but um, it might be as simple as uh, a monthly reviewing a monthly bank statement that you get or an online statement. Uh, and it can be as complex as tracking it through a, uh, a software that you buy. And, um, you know, now I personally have used a software called Quicken, and I know there's Microsoft um, uh, Money. There's a few other, I'm sure there's many other spreadsheets that you can set up as well, uh, and even on your phone, which I think is probably a, a great way too if you're, if you're used to using that mobile. But it just keeps, you in, uh, it keeps it in front of you, and it lets you know, by category, you know, how much is going into each sector and then, how, of course, how much you can save. So this time of year, a lot of times people will have access to their online financial statements. So they might be able to look at their December 31st valuations of their portfolio and their investments. Uh, or perhaps you get a paper statement still. So in the next, it'll be another week or two before you get your paper copy of your year-end statement. But just now take all that information and summarize it onto one page, your net worth statement. And, um, and then just keep every year, once a year at least, do that to make sure that you can see where your investments are growing and how your net worth is growing overall. Because that's what's making you on, keeping you on track for, your, uh, for a comfortable retirement and your financial future. So that's number five, tracking your spending. Well, number six is paying down debt. And I know uh, this has been a topic for the last few years, and Canadians were one of the most indebted per person countries and the you know the kind of the big world the uh, first world problems kind of say with interest rates so low 
it was a great opportunity for lots to get into more debt, okay? At the end of the day, these things have to be paid off, and this is where most of our debt in Canada has been mortgages. Um, but that being said, this uh, whole pandemic has been a great opportunity to hit the reset button and try to say, okay, what are my priorities and what habits should I change? And I think a lot of people have created some you know, excellent habits. I did hear a joke the other day uh, that a friend of mine says, you know, this pandemic has made people either a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. <laughs> And what about what about if you any habit? <laughs> what about if you can check out all? What if you can check off all three boxes? <laughs> you, <laughs> you might some, need a different beer. Yeah, you need some COVID relief. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also said there there didn't seem to be anything that rhymed to have the discipline to pay down debt. And this is what an opportunity was because, as Andy just mentioned, tracking your spending. One thing that we weren't able to do is is do a lot of the things that are just fun concerts travel restaurants and all of a sudden what an opportunity started saying i'm going to do a spring cleanup but i'm going to last the whole pandemic i'm going to pay down debt and some of those you know worst ones are the credit cards i would say even worse would be those places that sell get you into debt even more even higher rates and credit cards that are at a lot of corners in your neighborhood i'm sure anyway those this is an opportunity, and now you just look at prioritizing which debt first. Generally speaking, get rid of the credit cards first. Then you work your way down to the higher-paying debt, uh, say car loans, and then maybe line of credit. The last place you may want to look at paying down would be your mortgage, particularly right now, five-year mortgage rates are under 2%. So then you gotta, when you get to that stage, you think, okay, is it better to pay down my mortgage or go back to our second one, and contribute to TFSAs, RESPs, or RRSPs? And this is where the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, You should probably do both. And this is where a financial planner would say optimize how much should you contribute to the investments and how much should go against paying down debt. And that would be number six. All right. Number seven is uh, speak, still speaking about debt, but how to make your debt tax deductible. And uh, so we talk about good debt and bad debt. And bad debt is any debt that you've created where you've purchased something or spent money on something that depreciates in value or goes down in value. Uh, so obviously borrowing money to buy a vehicle in almost all cases is a, it's a depreciating asset. It's, it's bad debt. And of course, you can only deduct the interest. Now, interest rates I know are low, but you can only deduct the interest uh, on an investment if it is producing investment income, all right? So to be able to um, uh, convert your investments into tax-deductible debt, convert your debt into tax-deductible debt, basically what you would do is you would sell a income-producing asset and pay off that bad debt. Then reborrow the same amount of money and put that back into your income-producing investment. And now because you've borrowed money to buy an income-producing investment, you can deduct the interest, all right? So this is something that, um, again, to speak to your financial planner about. Uh, restructuring your debt is something that um, is, it, it, it's not simple to do because you need to structure it properly, 
but it's certainly low-hanging fruit in terms of something that you can uh, get in place. And it's better to start it early in the year, do it right now, because the interest expense that you have is tax-deductible. It's the interest that you've paid during the entire year. So that monthly interest that's accruing that's bad debt, if we can convert it to tax-deductible debt, you'll have 12 months of deduction right now. The sooner we get it, the sooner you get it implemented. So that's number number seven, making your debt tax-deductible. And one way that uh, some of the people have been slowly making their debt tax-deductible is sometimes you have a mortgage set up with a line of credit. And as you've paid down the mortgage, you now have access to more line of credit. And so to keep your debt at the same level, you constantly borrow that extra and invest that portion into equity investments. And I think it was called a Smith Maneuver many, many years ago. I don't particularly like it too much on the basis that it's too slow. It takes so long to accumulate to finally move um, bad debt to, to good debt. But the premise makes a lot of sense. And if there is an opportunity, if you get a windfall, and I, and I had a client actually over the holidays mention about this. They said, well, why don't we, I, I like to pay off this debt I have, but they also have investments. So what they're going to do, they're going to use that money to pay off the debt and then borrow from the investments, borrow from the debt to buy back the investments. They're in the exact same position as before, but now the debt is tax deductible. And it gave them that opportunity to do so. So it's a great idea and it, it allows you to get kind of more leverage, if you will, um, over the whole situation. Uh, going over to uh, number eight, and start a, start a small business. Now, this, is a, this might be a little out there, but depending on what you do for a living, this might be an option, um, particularly from a lot of people that are working from home. Now, I believe that all employees, without any, anything from their employer, are now eligible for a $400 tax credit from working at home, and it's just an automatic now, if you want to deduct more than that, it's almost like having your own business. And they do have to get, you do have to get your employer to fill out a form. Um, basically, there, in the previous years, it's been a T2200. I believe there's another form in conjunction with that this year that allows you to, to basically, because of COVID and the pandemic, that you're able to deduct a lot of other expenses, such as, you know, your cable bill, um, hydro, um, et cetera. And it's basically all the expenses that, generally speaking, you would get to write off if you own your own business. Now, if you found that you could actually start your own business, even more so, then you get to start off writing off uh, vehicle costs and, uh, and a whole lot of other things that you're already paying for. Now, you don't simply go in business because of the tax deductions. There's, uh, the highest paid people in Canada own their own business, but so do the lowest paid people in Canada own their own business, <laughs> okay? So <laughs> sometimes they find that uh, working for themselves isn't quite as easy as they thought and having a steady paycheck makes sense. But if there's a way that makes sense for you, then I would definitely recommend being able to write these off by creating this type of business. All right, we're on to number nine, and uh, this is about splitting income. And so just sort of on that tax theme, uh, splitting income with a family member, the, basically the idea is you want to shift income from one family member who's paying tax at a high rate to another family member who will pay tax at a lower rate. And uh, there are a number of ways to do this. Um, but uh, for an example, actually, I had a call over the holidays from a, a, a grandparent who was saying, you know, 
we're still doing well. This hasn't affected us financially that much, but I feel that we would like to give something extra to our grandchildren this year. Now, all of their grandchildren were under the age of uh, 18, so they were minors, and uh, but they were interested in what they might be able to do, and certainly they could do something like a formal trust, but just simply in the context that I think that, that their goal was to give them uh, $3,000 each. And so, um, and I think there was uh, five, so it was $15,000 altogether. So, but you can create what's called an investment for a minor. And basically what they've done is by gifting $3,000 to a minor grandchild, if they invest that into something that is just purely growth-oriented, that will produce capital gains down the road, uh, it doesn't produce dividends, it doesn't produce interest, and there are many mutual funds and even some uh, stocks that don't pay dividends but would grow in value over time. Uh, Tesla is an example of a stock that grows in val- has grown in value dramatically <laughs> but doesn't pay a dividend. So um, wh- when you have an investment that grows in value, those future capital gains will be taxed in the hands of the grandchild, not the grandparent. So basically what they've done is they've deferred, they've, they've avoided paying tax on the growth on that $3,000 or $15,000 total and shifted that to the future taxation of their grandchildren. And early on, their grandchildren are going to be in a very low tax rate. The downside is when they turn 18, that $3,000 plus what it's grown to is now the property of the child, the grandchild. Um, Now, I'm sure the grandparent, if they're still alive, might have some influence over how that's spent, but uh, there is obviously a risk. But they were okay with that. But income splitting, and the other one I mentioned at the very outset, which was um, using a prescribed loan, in this case, um, if you are a couple with two different tax brackets, one's in a higher tax bracket, one's in a lower tax bracket, you can loan money to your that you've earned to your lower tax bracket spouse. They would invest it, and they would you'd have to charge them a prescribed rate, which is 1% per year. So if you loaned them $100,000, they would have to give you $1,000 back at the end of the year, and that you'd have to include that $1,000 as income. But if that thousand, if that hundred thousand dollars earned five thousand dollars, then there that additional four thousand dollars is claimed in the lower tax rate person's name. So it's a great way to uh, split income right away, and uh, and there's some great long-term benefits. And one of the key things is that the prescribed rate by Canada Revenue is only one percent, and that's locked in indefinitely for the duration of the loan until that hundred thousand is paid back. So that's number nine. Uh, Splitting income with families. Yes, and a great, great idea there, Andy. Uh, number ten is reducing taxes at source. Now, ooh, I love this one. I think actually, I, if anybody should have been giving this one, I thought it would be Andy. It just happened that it came on my plate, but uh, Andy loves having or not having a refund. That's because that's because you're converted. You believe in this now. <laughs> <laughs> how how and, many years have you guys so, been fighting over this? A lot of truth. I will take Andy's word on this one, that if it's a massive refund that you're going to get, then absolutely it makes no sense to have that. And a perfect example, let's say you're paying uh, spousal support, which is tax deductible. And it's, and I'll give an example, it's say $2,000 a month. Well, it's twenty-four thousand a year, and if you're in a higher a higher tax bracket, you literally are loaning the government twelve thousand dollars for the whole year, and you could have actually got this thousand dollars a month in your pocket, which could have been invested, and that's significant. And that there is a point in time that makes a lot of sense. It does not make sense to let the government hold onto your money for a whole year, and particularly when you could have been taking that thousand dollars a month, adding it to your tax savings accounts adding it to the RSPs, 
adding it into the RES piece, and having a pre-authorized check. And the, it, it makes way more sense to do that. So you need to fill in a T1213, you know, with the Kinney, the Kinney Revenue Agency, and then they'll get back to you and they'll send you a letter that you can give to your employer, and that will help you. And then they'll just say, yes, uh, you can have this deducted at source, so you'll get more money in your paycheck. The trick is, and this is always the caveat, the trick is, and this is where Andy and I, this is the psychological part of getting money, is to invest that money and do something good with that extra money per month. And that's where I think Andy and I both agree that it makes sense to do that. If you were simply not going to do anything with that money, having that lump sum refund, um, if it's, you know, I would not suggest it for a big lump sum as uh, $12,000, but having a lump sum does make a bit more sense. And then you can say, oh, good, I got an extra $1,000 refund at the end of the year, and I'm going to put that into my RSP or pay down debt. I'm going to put one bonus one here, Andy. And I know we talked about that not too long ago. Bonus number 11, if you have not done a will or a power of attorney, hey, this is a great New Year's resolution. Take a look at yours, dust it off, if you've got one at all, and see if it still needs to be updated. And if you don't have one, definitely get one done. And it's an easy one to check that off the box and make sure that 2021, that this is done. And that is the top 11 now, New Year, financial New Year's resolutions. It's, it's sort of the, uh, it's like Spinal Tap. You're, you're the financial, uh, financial planners of Spinal Tap. You've gone to 11 here. Good for you. <laughs> With uh, fiscal I don't New know Year- how people pick. I mean, the 11 choices, it's going to be really difficult, but, but pick one anyway. And watching and, and watching you guys on, on on the little boxes of my screen here, it's like watching you two uh, on New Year's Eve all over again. My goodness, the only thing that was missing was the champagne. Uh, exciting stuff. It is. <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister, Don Fox are here. 905-529-7165. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you ASAP at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Have this discussion a lot about taking your CPP early or not. Yeah, and one of the, um, I, I, as, and I've mentioned this before, but Don and I were always looking at what are what information or what is the latest research in terms of people and Canada pension plan, and um, you know this is such an important component of the uh, of your retirement decision and the retirement process. And once it's made, it's locked in. So you know you you it's important to make sure you've got all the facts in front of you and that you're talking to someone who is experienced in this. And I want to talk about bad advice a little bit later on too. Anyway, I came across there was a recent um, through our trade magazine the, um, and the Financial Planning Research Council, but the Financial Planning Canada Research Foundation uh, hires and pays for uh, independent uh, reviews of different financial planning topics, and one that was recently done just in December uh, last uh, December 2020 uh, by Dr. Bonnie Jean McDonald, and she is a professor at uh, professor of aging at Ryerson University did another update on the Canada Pension Plan decision, an early Canada Pension Plan. 
And one of the things in the executive summary that I was that, that jumped out at me too is that uh, um, that when you look at the deferral, so instead of taking Canada Pension Plan early or at age 65 and normal age, if you defer it to age 70, yes, you get a 0.7 percent increase um, per year, 0.7 percent per month increase in the in the value that you get. But one of the factors that's not included in that calculation on the government website is what is called the average national wage growth. And the average national wage growth is a factor that increases the amount of Canada Pension Plan that you will receive. And so by the time you add in that for over five years, from age 65 to 70, instead of getting a 42% increase in the value of your Canada Pension Plan, you'd actually work out to about a 50% increase in the value of your Canada Pension Plan for waiting those five years. And um, so, Sky, I know we've talked about this before, and I, I've asked you the question, you know, how many people do you think take, uh, take Canada Pension Plan after age 65? And uh, the answer, oh, but here's the question. How many people actually take it at age 70? What percentage of uh, Canada Pension Plan people take it at age 70? Um, I would say it is less than 50. Um, 30%? One percent. Oh, my. One percent of those that are eligible for Canada Pension Plan take it at age 70. So, and about 95% take it at age 65 or sooner. So, four percent uh, after age 65 and only one percent. So, if you think about, and here's the, here's the standard. How do you explain that? Yeah. In, in 2019, how many people per day, per day, do you think were making their Canada Pension Plan decision and sending in paperwork to start it? Not many. A thousand a day. Oh. A thousand people a oh, day. Oh, this is at the end. Yeah. All right. Well, well, every day. Every day last year, uh, on average, a thousand people every day were making a decision to start their Canada pension plan. And what a big decision this is. Yeah. So 300,000, 365,000 people last year decided to start their Canada pension plan. So a thousand a day. And um, there's right now there's about 20 million people that are participating in Canada Pension Plan around uh, in Canada. So, it, and one of the things, so if you think about what one of the perspectives that they did in their key findings was the benefit, the concept of delaying at one year. So we've been talking about, oh, wait till age 70. Yes, yes, that would be the most important thing. And sometimes people can afford to do that, but sometimes people can't. But let's really narrow it down to just one year. Just one year. So if you were going to start, you're 62 now, you're getting pressure from your friends and your spouse and say, you know, you should start your Canada Pension Plan. Um, if you wait one year till age 63, the value of deferring that one year, it would be equivalent to you taking that money that you were going to get and being able to earn 11.25% per year for the rest of your retirement period. So if you think about the, the value of that or being able to earn 11 and a quarter percent it, just to reincent people to think about waiting uh, another year even can uh, can help improve your overall financial life retirement life so how do you explain that number you, you know one percent actually hold on to the to the very end is that just simply because we're so unsure of our mortality we're just scared we're going to die early Mortality is a big one, and um, and Don, you made some other thoughts about. It. I mean, lack of advice, and then there's good advice and bad advice. And 
I want to talk about bad advice just for a second. And, and this, I mean, Don and I have been talking about deferring Canada pension plan for what, the last decade? Yep. I, I think God, you know, and seriously. It wasn't even popular in the papers. All of a sudden it's starting to show up now. No. And, and there is, um, and, and the financial planning profession pointed this out, that there is a direction from financial institutions. If financial institutions recommend you take Canada pension plan early, then in theory, that means that your investments can stay with them longer. You're not cashing in your investments. And so what I'm afraid of when I think about bad advice is what advisors are saying that about starting Canada Pension Plan early in an effort to hang on to those clients' investments, which are earning them a trailer fee. And so uh, this is a shift that we have to make that um, as advisors, we're putting our own self-interest aside, as always, and making sure that we're giving the best advice possible to clients. So um, I'm when I hear of other uh, advisors telling people to start their Canada pension plan early, there are very limited cases where it makes sense, but it still uh, is something that, you know, you need to get a second opinion on. Mm. That's, that's key when it comes to Canada pension plan. So um, as I've mentioned, maybe lack of advice and maybe some bad advice. And, and Don, I think probably, as Scott said too, probably the other issue is people concerned about dying too early. <laughs> right? So We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call as soon as possible at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. We're talking about tips regarding your Canada pension plan. Yes, I know, Andy. Uh, we, we, we can't be passionate enough about the whole Canada Pension Plan debate, if you will. Um, I don't actually think it is that much of a debate other than perhaps a, uh, a bad health situation where you may have a limited life expectancy and therefore it makes sense to draw on your Canada Pension Plan early. But the numbers suggest otherwise that most people, it's funny, they, they expect to live a long life except for getting their Canada Pension Plan. So many are taking it before 65 and taking a discount from their earnings, and the average, the average 65-year-old uh, female and uh, male is 85, and female is 88. So there definitely makes sense, actually, in both those cases. That's just average, too. So depending on your job, if you are working in, I say, a factory with lots of, say, Stelco or DeFasco, if you will, um, life expectancy might be less. If you're a smoker, life expectancy would be less. But if you were a white-collar worker, non-smoker, not obese, then life expectancy should be a lot higher than, than 85 and 88. And you see that often simply if you look at the obituaries and you see the, how many people are living past 90 these days. So it, for me, it's, it, it definitely makes sense. Uh, quite often we've been trying to get people simply to wait till 65. And it was a struggle. And they're getting advice from their neighbors, their coworkers, their other financial institutions, and honestly, I talked to somebody over the holidays, and he said, Don, I'm the only one that's waiting until 65. And I said, yeah, you're the only one doing it right. <laughs> because 
even an HR person recommended a client to take it at 60, in which they have a fairly respected job, and they took that, and they were wanting to take that advice. So the way I look at it, most of these people could afford not to, and others, it was a matter of, oh, it's just a good thing to do. Everybody's doing it at 60. It's like, I want to be part of that party. And Scott? What, what percentage of Canadians actually have a financial planner? Uh, yeah, that's a, it's something like so, less than 30%. There's the, there, there's the similarity. I mean, perhaps if there was more advice out there, people would be, would be, would be doing different things other than listening to their neighbours. Uh, well, we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk next week about why people don't listen to advice. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and one thing I look at, it's kind of interesting, the whole idea of, of your investments, they often say, well, you should get a bit more conservative as you get older, and that may be true. Well, your Canada Pension Plan, is, uh, I would treat it as a fixed income portion of your portfolio. So by putting that off till 70, you're going to get a higher income that's guaranteed, by the investments of the Canada Pension Plan. And so you're going to get this income from there, which is going to be 42% higher by waiting till age 70 versus 65. And therefore, by drawing on your, your, your RIFs or RSPs before 70, that would make up. So you're slowly getting that area smaller and your CPP is getting bigger. And also, you're also prepaying tax on your RSPs. And quite frankly, I, I would like to start to see people draw on those RSPs and pay tax uh, and get their incomes under 80000 As Andy mentioned, that's the new limit so that you don't get the old age security clawback. And I guess recovery is now the new word, but it's, it's good to pay some tax because you're going to pay tax on those RSPs sometime. So therefore, if you can pay tax at 30%, and rather than you know, possibly passing away and having your estate pay 53.5% on those RSPs, then it makes a lot of sense tax-wise, plus you're getting this 42% bump on your Canada Pension Plan. Now, something came to play over the holidays also. I was speaking with a client, and he was all for this working. He's still working. He's 67, and he liked the idea of waiting until 70 to collect his, RSP, uh, to collect his Canada Pension Plan. And he's doing everything right, so we both thought. But once you're past 65, if you're still working, you it will automatically, you're still contributing to Canada Pension Plan unless you fill in a form, a CPT 30. That's Charlie Peter Tom 30 election form. And that will stop your Canada Pension Plan at age 65. So you're no longer contributing to Canada Pension Plan. Now, why that's important, if you're already at the maximum, by adding more to your Canada Pension Plan, you will not be getting any greater amount by waiting. So at 70, you're still getting the exact same whether you contributed or didn't contribute between 65 and 70. There is this um, added benefit called a post-retirement benefit that you can contribute after 65. And there's, so there's this little five-year gap between 65 and 70. And that's only if you are receiving Canada Pension Plan do your dollars go towards this post-retirement benefit. And, it, and by so you would be getting your Canada Pension Plan at 65 and then also getting this additional amount to the post-retirement benefit by continuing to contribute. This was what was tricky, though. If you simply just add to the Canada Pension Plan and not receive it, it does not go to this post-retirement benefit. It simply just goes into this big, giant pension plan, and you're not getting any extra benefit. So, again, speak to your financial planner. As, they, as Scott just mentioned, 
value advice, this is a, a huge decision in terms of the importance to your retirement. And if there's two spouses, time's up by two, determining how much extra pension you can get and what is the exact amount. Should you wait till 70, 68? It all, there's so many factors, but I think the default should be leave it longer than take it earlier. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Andy and Don, all one word. And there you can access old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Gentlemen, the first one of the year down. Uh, thanks so much and take care. Be well. Chat next week. You bet, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Take care. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.